Alleluia. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Alleluia. As a priest, I have the honor and privilege of often being there at the end of life for many people. It's never easy, I'll tell you. Each time that I'm at the bedside of someone passing away, it takes a toll on me, just as every funeral I do here does. People sometimes ask me if priests mourn. And the truth is, yes, we do. We just mourn later, after the funeral. We cry after leaving the hospital room or the deathbed. But I'll also tell you that often people, I often tell people rather, that I thank God for my calling because I can't avoid in my occupation thinking about death. I can't avoid it, as so many other people can. And that's a gift, though it might seem strange to say so. You know, all rational human beings seek to avoid death in thought. Certainly their own, and usually others, too. We don't want to think about death, but events continually draw our attention to it. The Ukrainian war in the news lately is just one current example in a long line of them. The Holy Saturday anthem in the prayer book that is said earlier on Holy Saturday before this service is the same that's used at funeral services. It goes like this. It's taken from the beginning, at least, of the book of Job. Job 14. Man is born of a woman, has but a short time to live, and is full of misery. He springs up and is cut down like a flower. He flees like a shadow and never continues the same. In the midst of life, we are in death. Of whom do we seek strength but you, O Lord, who for our sins are justly displeased? Yet, O Lord, God most holy, O Lord most mighty, O holy and most merciful Savior, deliver us not unto the pains of eternal death. You know, O Lord, the secrets of our hearts. Shut not your ears to our prayer, but spare us. Lord most holy, O God most mighty, O holy and merciful Savior, most worthy judge eternal, do not let us in our final hour, through the pain of death, fall away from you. That's the anthem that many of us read earlier today. And it reminds us that no matter how much we want to ignore it, no matter how much we want to think that we're in control of our own lives no matter how much we try to insulate ourselves with comforts, and we have many comforts in this country, the comforts of medicine, great things, but nevertheless, in the, in the midst of life, we are in death. And we're delicate. Life is delicate, like a flower. Without God's intervention, there's no hope. There's no getting out of this world alive physically or spiritually. In our vigil readings, we heard from the book of Genesis just how humanity got into this predicament, didn't we? God did not create man and woman to die, we heard from Genesis chapter 1, but to live in eternal relationship with Him. But Adam and Eve's lack of trust in God 
aided, of course, by the deception of the serpent, who is the devil, caused Adam and Eve to taste and then to drink the cup of death. And with that, both physical and spiritual death entered into this world. There's much to be said about what God created us for and what we lost in the fall because of their sin, but it can be summed up in Genesis chapter 3, verses 9, 19 rather, and verses 23 and 24. And I invite you to turn there with me in your bulletin because it's there. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 is on page 11. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then, verses 23 and 24, on the next page, page 12, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east gate of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, a flaming sword, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, Adam and Eve's fruit was to taste death. And with Adam and Eve fell all creation, all that they were put to rule over into the grip of misery and death, which of course is where we are without God's intervention. The results are bitter. Don't kid yourself. If you've been around death, you know that. Mankind was not made to die. But mankind was cut off from God. But nevertheless, God did not write off the human race. Throughout the Old Testament, He reached out to mankind. He reached out then to His chosen people. We see it in Exodus and the Jonah readings that we read tonight. God reaches out and chooses a people to lead and to dwell with. He chose the Hebrews, the sons and daughters of Eber, whose offspring was Abraham, the great father of the Jews. And God makes a covenant with Abraham promising that his offspring will be like the stars of the sky. And God continues to intervene in Abraham's life with his offspring, We heard tonight the reading from Exodus about how God frees the Hebrews from some 400 years of slavery. And did you notice, it struck me tonight, God's pronouncement as they're there at the edge of the Red Sea. What does He say to them in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14? He says this, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which He will work for you today. To see that on page 14? It's in the first paragraph at the end. He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. 
What good news that is. Do you see the gospel even in the Exodus readings? That it is the Lord who brings about salvation, not us of any effort. And God, of course, backs it up. He sent a plague over the people of Egypt in Exodus 12 before, so that a slain, a slain lamb would protect his people, but the Egyptians would lose their firstborn as a sign of his glory. And now, in this passage, in Exodus chapter 14, God opens the Red Sea. These aren't empty words, notice. But God opens the Red Sea and saves the Hebrews from 400 years of slavery walking on dry land through a lake, a sea. The Exodus story is defining for the Hebrew people and later for the Jews because it shows how God intervened to help them. And when in the fullness of time Jesus the Son of God comes from the Hebrew people, he becomes their Passover lamb. Do you see God's hand at work from beginning to end? Notice in the uh, Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking, he proclaims that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Passover lamb. On the Thursday before Jesus gave his life on the cross. He gives his people a new covenant. It too is a covenant of body and blood. But it's not the burning of a lamb, but the brokenness of his body and the spilling out of his blood. And then notice, the next day, what does he do? Those are not empty words either. But God fights for his people and he fights by giving up his life on the cross. It's God's intervention that we celebrate tonight. From beginning to end, God's salvation, wrought by God's hand alone, by his mighty arm alone, as we sang. And Good Friday sets into motion the events of today, Easter Eve known sometimes as the harrowing of hell. You know, those are antiquated words, so we have to explain them, right? What is, what is harrowing, after all? We don't use that word anymore. Well, you know, harrowing, to translate it into modern English, means the plundering, like a pirate plunders. So it was that Jesus plundered death. He went down to the place of the dead, and he plundered it freeing those people stuck there prior to his death. The harrowing of hell. It's what we confess every day when we say the Apostles' Creed, he descended to the dead. In the old prayer book, he descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again. We're saying that Jesus descended to liberate those who were enslaved by death and by sin because he died. Because he was the only one able to do so. Because he was the only perfect man to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death for our sake. Tonight, we end individual readings with a portion of this service 
with the story of Jonah. And maybe you were scratching your head saying, well, I get creation and exodus, but what does Jonah have to do with the resurrection? Well, there's great imagery in Jonah. What Jonah does, or what God does rather, because Jonah doesn't do a whole lot of good in anything, is to bring about forgiveness and repentance by Jonah being thrown into the sea and going down into the depths. Jonah is in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And it would seem a stretch to say that Jonah is a prefigurement of Jesus Christ, except that Jesus Christ himself says it. Here, the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 12, verse 38, our Lord Jesus is speaking of Himself. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees told Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from You. But He replied to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, yet no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and condemn the people living today because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that His death and resurrection is the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish crying out to the Lord that the Lord was his deliverance, so the Lord, Jesus, the Son of God, goes down into the depths of the earth, being buried, descending to the dead. Jesus offers himself on the cross and is buried in the earth as Jonah is buried in the beast of the sea. And God will preserve Jesus just as He preserved Jonah. He will not abandon Him to the pit. But Jesus, of course, being the Son of God, is far greater than Jonah. For Jonah, remember, preached repentance embittered. Do you remember the story? Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Why would I go to those heathen Ninevites and preach repentance? He resists every stretch of the way. And yet Jesus goes to the cross so willingly, desiring to save His people, the greater Jonah. But Jonah is the sign of Jesus, the greater one to come. And Jesus' preaching of repentance is not limited just to the living but to all people at all times. That's part of what we're celebrating tonight. That His death upon the cross, His descent to hell, His rising again on Easter morning is a transformational event that goes beyond time and space to all creation. This is why 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6, we read, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way that people are, they might live in the Spirit the way that God does. And again, the Apostle Peter writes in his letter, in chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Jesus Christ's death was once for all time. When he said, it is finished, it was a transformational event in time, but also transcending time. And he's the only man who didn't deserve death, who didn't stand as Adam's son only under the curse, but conquered sin and death. The second Adam. The question that he presents to everyone before him and after him is, will you repent and believe, or will you ignore sin and death and be forever enslaved to it? Will you face death? And in its face, will you repent and believe? Or will you ignore it and let it be your master? You see, we run away from death with the busyness of life, with all sorts of things. We try to busy ourselves. Will I get home and get the load of laundry out of the wash before it starts stinking? How can I get to work today? How can I get to work out today? What time does my son or daughter have to be at school? Can I fit my taxes in? Do I have those done? Oh shoot, did I answer that text? Did I return that email of my boss? Did I pay that bill? The busyness of life can kill you. Can kill you physically, but spiritually too. Right? That great poet and Anglican priest, John Donne, preached a sermon to the English House of Lords on Easter 1640. And he said this, he said, We are all conceived in closed prison. In our mother's wombs, we are closed prisoners all. When we're born, we are born but to the liberty of the house, prisoners still, though the, larger, the walls are larger. And then all our life is but going to the place of execution, to death. And we sleep all the way. From womb to grave, we are never thoroughly awake, but pass on with such dreams and imaginations as these. I may live as well as another. And why should I die rather than another? But awake, for what man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Indeed, awake. What John Donne is so eloquently putting to put in our English vernacular today is wake up, because none of us escapes this situation where we face two deaths. And Jesus' point of saying this is a sign of Jonah is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest miracle that has ever occurred. Not just because he came back from the dead, Lazarus did that through Jesus, but because he died that perfect death and then descended to hell or the dead and then came back from the dead, rising again bringing with him the victory over death. 
the mastery of death. Jesus was crucified and rose again as no other person could. And so, when Jonah preached to the Ninevites, they repented, though they had seen no sign. The question to us is, will we repent this side of the resurrection, having seen the greatest miracle, the greatest sign that there is, and embrace the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has won? He has provided a pathway for those who are willing to follow Him through the tumultuous sea of life, out of spiritual slavery, into spiritual life and liberation. He has plundered the place of the dead and made us free. And no longer do we need to fear it if we choose not to. He is in the process of restoring creation itself. Won't you too repent? Won't you too turn and follow Him? And if you've already done so, won't you too vow to continue to follow Him till the day that you physically die that you eternally might live? The bottom line is this. Face death. Don't run from it. See that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Embrace the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for you. Repent and believe because He has conquered sin and death and wake up that you too might live both here and eternally. Jesus Christ knows the secrets of your heart and your desires. And He desires that you might live with Him both here and forever. That's the good news of tonight. Jesus Christ is risen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would renew in our hearts that fervor of life. That You would pour into our spirits that desire to love You and know You in all things and follow You obediently. And Lord, we ask that You would give us the grace to persist to the end. We might see what counts and that we, we might act under Your guidance. For deliverance belongs to you alone, O Lord. Alleluia. Amen. I invite you to stand. Through the Paschal mystery, dear friends, we are buried with Christ by baptism into his death and raised with him into newness of life. I call upon you, therefore, now that our Lenten observance is ended, to renew the solemn promises and vows of holy baptism by which